Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Villalucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, thanks very much. Just did that. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. so you got a nice, okay. Yeah. Merry Christmas to well, me. There you go. John Higgins. Hello. John Higgins. How are you Good doing, evening. brother? I'm very well, thank so you. So not a snooker John, player. John, no. <laughs> Glad to be back. Glad to be back. John, uh, yeah, um, oh, you were one of the original uh, uh, interviewees on the podcast. Yes, I was. Yeah, we days. were talking about, I think, Rambo and God knows how many films. It was like we, we spent, you know, it was like before <laughs> we knew. How long ago was that then? <laughs> I'm trying to remember, but we, we talked. I remember I brought up things like. Um, Indiana I, Jones, you were telling me about Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. I, also talk, I also brought up the. Um, I also brought up like the Rambo series. It was a whole variety of things we were talking about. Are they making another Rambo? It I is. Saw... Well, <laughs> Stallone, Stallone always <laughs> seems to say no. But let's face it, he's in Creed too, and, and like it's not even his film anymore. It's like, yeah, Creed. It's, but yeah. but the funny thing is, there has been a rumor that they're going to do a more domestic Rambo. Because after Rambo, Rambo 4 didn't do all that well because Sony, I think, sort of didn't Hang want to Rambo 4, the Russian guy. Rambo. Oh, Ram- Rambo. You know, Ram- John Rambo, Rambo which was the one which, yeah. which sort of took violence, which was everything that the first three films should have been, but wasn't, which is like extreme violence. Right, yeah, I remember that um, one, yeah. I don't know if you remember the, the British Safety Council ban. I think I told you on the last one that the British Safety Council tried to ban it in 85, for saying it was 96 minutes of mindless violence. What, the first one? No, the second one. Oh, well. So that yeah. was the Afghanistan one? That, no, it was the Vietnam one. <laughs> Yeah, because that's the um, time where you know, with the, famous, with the famous line was, it's, uh, do we get to win this time? <laughs> <laughs> this time it's up to you. <laughs> so, Afga- the Russian, yeah, Afghanistan that was, was the three. third one. Mm. That was the really so self parody almost, wasn't yeah. it? That but was it was really great. That, they were fun movies. I yeah, yeah. We were and right. I mean, First Blood's actually just out on 4K HD, so yeah. yeah. Okay. I think First Blood is genuinely a great that's film. It's a good film, yeah. yeah oh, really yeah, but, it was, but Stallone actually described this at the time as a whole movie. Because it was never because when he made it, he was typecast as Rambo. Oh, okay. And then he said, "I conditioned myself to accept of myself that Rambo Rocky was a thing." But he he made peace with himself. Then he made this little movie called First Blood, which had been offered to virtually everybody in town, and it would have been offered to Steve McQueen. Got you know, it'd be if you do the research. And Kirk Douglas was originally going to be the. Richard Crenna oh, character. Oh, okay, right. I was going to say, he but was Rambo. St- but um, <laughs> in his biography, The Ragman Son, um, Kirk Douglas said that he wanted to oh, he kill wanted off to change Ram- stuff, didn't he? He wanted yeah. to kill off Rambo, but he turned up, the, so the legend goes, Kirk Douglas turned up on the set of First Blood and Ted Koch, if he'd already turned down the script and then Stallone had already done the rewrites because he wanted to change it. But, yeah. he s- but that was the thing, because in the original novel, Rambo dies. Okay. He dies at the end of the novel. Right. But because of, you know, Stallone wanted to make him a victim, wanted to make him this character that wasn't a psycho. I mean, in the book itself, if you read the original novel, the first blood one, he's actually a lot more brutal and there's brutality and violence. And then it ends with him dying. But because it was such a huge success, you yeah. know, it got even bigger. I mean, in, in 1985, for example, the second one tapped into the whole post-Vietnam stress thing, which they want. And it sort of touched the nerve like a lot of movies 
And yeah, so it's. But they didn't know it was going to be popular. Like they didn't keep him alive, knowing well we can squeeze another film out of this. I, d- I don't think anybody can. But it was it was was a sleeper hit in 1982. We got it in. I mean, talking about what we're going to talk about today, it was a Christmas movie in the UK. Oh, was it really? 1982 <laughs> was released in late 1982 December. So when did Rocky come out then? Late. Rocky 70s? came out in the all in the sp- just after Christmas 1977. It was the 19. 19- so was that his next film? No, no, Rock. He did off following in the time. Nineteen seventy six, he did Rocky. Then he did a thing called Paradise Alley about wrestling. Then he did a union did film he? called Fist. Also, Paradise Alley features him singing. No, he does oh, a song called. There's a song called Once. It one step to paradise. <laughs> you can go with me. <laughs> but he, you know, and then he did actually, it's like he's here. and then um, and then he did Nighthawks with. With the late right, Bruce yeah. Malmoth, which was, he directed the Stephen Sagan Hartica, which is actually a really great movie. It's got Rucker Hoyer, Persis Kambata. That's um, the cop film? It's a cop, cop film, yeah. yeah. And basically, Deck the Silver, and he's battling this terrorist called Wolfgar, who's played terrifically by Rucker Hoyer, which he, it was his first American movie. And Persis Kambata had just come off Star Trek as Ilya, you know, the bald in Delta. Alien. Oh, so in from, from uh, the motion picture? Yeah, from the Abby. first film. And then, of course, he, those films didn't do too well. And then he did Rocky Two, And then Rocky Three came out. And then around the same time, he'd, he'd already, he was doing Escape to Victory with Michael Caine, which was Victory in the States. Mm-hmm. Which, um, and he was, I think he spent half the time in there between being a goalkeeper, writing Rambo, Rocky Three, And then First Blood came out. And then that was another thing. Then it became, that became another franchise for Stallone. Yeah. It's unusual, isn't it, for someone to have two... Iconic, yeah. You know, however much you well, might view that everyone it. knows. You know, but funny enough, Clint Eastwood actually is this is the actual template for that because oh. he's this is an interesting career because he was a TV star, went to Italy to do the Man with a Name films, came back to America, oh, did Dirty Harry, yeah. Then he did play Mister for Me as a director, had four, you know, had done three Dirty Harrys. Then he had Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can with Philo Bedell. A series of great westerns, you know, Outlaw Josie Wells, Hang 'em High, High Plains Drifter, Pale Rider, and Unforgiven, held over Unforgiven because it was it was a script in the seventies, nineteen seventy five oh was wow. the ri- and it was originally the William Money Killings and David Peoples who wrote Blade Runner. Oh, okay. This was a script that he picked up on because he wanted to grow into it. <laughs> it became rooted about I I first heard about it around the time of Pale Rider because he had three movies that had Heartbreak Ridge, which sort of made the Pentagon nervous but the Unforgiven <laughs> script was actually had been going around for a while and then in 1992-93 it became a really big hit yeah. and then it won him his Oscars and then of course he's now segued into a, being a great director but Eastwood is actually the template because he's had three when you think of all the characters he's had you know he's had great he's been a great actor and a great director and he's, he's done things like you know um, Where Eagles Dare which is a bona fide action classic he's done know lots of various the gauntlet which was on recently which again has grown in stature in every movie he, he did the spaghetti western didn't he, he did he did the man with he did um yeah because you forget now clint because he did like a f- fistful so of dollars for a few <coughs> dollars more in the good the bad and the ugly because if you're not young if you don't remember that from like if you weren't like in your 20s then yeah and you think where well, he's now i think oh yeah he was the guy with the tooth but I this is the this is the problem with today's <laughs> societies or today's you know today's audiences is that they're not seeking out the older materials yeah. because you know for us for example our generation you know we grew up you know 
watching TV, for example, and you'd often see things like Play Misty for Me or Hang em High yeah. on ITV when there was only three channels. And then now, for example, with these, the, the choice of movies, yeah, you know, it's... it's but it, that's not a bad thing because I think people... I was somebody who sought out those movies. Yeah. You know, I was somebody who, you know, a Saturday night watching ITV, you know, and I would... I remember the first time I seen The Thing came yeah. on. Saturday night, I was just sat there a kid and this film came off, oh, here we go, another Blimey. horror. And I watched it and thought, and I thought, yeah, you don't really have that now, like the sort of... Because everything's just been thrown at you. You can sort of pick what you want. You're not forced to yeah. what's on. There's only three channels. But it makes, but it makes the, <clears throat> it, but it makes the, the viewing, viewing experience different because back then it was like, you know... I used to be excited about the Christmas schedules when there was only three yeah, channels. Yeah. You had BBC and ITV, yeah. and you know everybody would crowd around the TV on a Christmas day and watch. I noticed that. You know, it's, it's like, but, but today, for example, it's like there's not that I'm begrudging Sky Cinema for having the amount of films that they have on. It's just that it feels like you're. It's like too much of everything. Yeah. And I used to love, you know, growing up, I used to love the Christmas schedules. Like, you know, when you used to have the Queen's Christmas speech. I mean, they still have it now with a thing, but it's not as particularly with the BBC because everybody's going to satellite or they're yeah. going to stuff like that. And I, I've always found... found ...was screened on... October 1982 on TV and we actually sort of you know the TV times had a sidebar so I, I cut that out and then I put it on the VHS tape and I <laughs> knackered the tape for about a year and it was like but again it, it's like the today you are you know people are watching you have all this great stuff and it's brilliant don't get me wrong you you have a it's better now because you've got high definition you can watch you know a lot of these classic movies are being screened in their proper ratios you know you watch you know, the gauntlet or something like that or the Dirty Harris films, it's in their proper ratio, whereas back then it was pan and scan and sometimes there are elements that are missed. But it's... I still get the same excitement. I'm sure everybody else mm. here does. You get the same excitement of watching a movie and that's it. Yeah, but you're right, though. I think when you've only got three channels, you're sort of forced to take part in what everyone else is taking part in. So you... you the, like now, if you haven't if you haven't got three channels and or some American channels or whatever channels that aren't celebrating Christmas... You're not gonna. You, there's no. You don't, you don't feel it. It's just another little. It's like not putting decorations up in like yeah. round near me. They haven't bothered this year. And you think it's another little thing. Like you don't see the Christmas stuff. You haven't got the lights up here. It sort of falls down. Um, yeah. But on the fight back to that, <coughs> you're going to give us some suggestions of what you should watch okay. for Christmas. If that well, this is my <coughs> definition. I have a def two definitions of a Christmas movie, which is a movie that takes place at Christmas in some shape or form. Or a film that reminds one of Christmas, either in terms of when it was shown over a two, in terms of when it was shown over a two-week period from 9th, December the 21st to January the 4th. Hang on, what, what was that second loophole? What? A film that reminds one of Christmas. I reminds saw, you of Christmas. You know, okay. like films that I saw at Christmas. Oh, right, and okay. So what I'm going to give you first are the, Masters top, of the are the top five. Film. Where? It was, yeah. Masters of the Universe. Yeah. He-Man. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I remember <laughs> that being a, like really distinctly like okay. Andy Peters being like the network premiere because <laughs> I'd never heard that expression yeah. before. Yeah, in the broom cupboard with the gopher yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Okay, so this is my top five in order of ascending order. It, oh, in, no, okay, so you're not, not preference. No, no. Okay. Uh, well, yes, in order. Okay. And number five, The Great Escape. Yeah, that's always on at Christmas. So that, right, it's just so, on at Christmas. But it, the thing is, is uh, there was never a time, there was always a time where the damn thing was always on Christmas, and that would be the film that everybody would watch. Yeah. It's gr and also, my father was at the world premiere in 63. Oh, wow. He nice. went. He was in where the, was it? At the uh, Odeon Leicester America. Square. Oh, in England? Yeah, okay. the Odeon Leicester Square. 
Now, number four is a movie that is actually, I sort of equate with Christmas TV now, which is The Holiday. Which, why do I know that? It's, um, it's Cameron ba- Diaz. It's Cameron Diaz, yeah. so Kate Winslet. What? And it's Eli Wallach's final role as retired screenwriter Arthur Adams. Now, I wrote an article about this on Cinema Jam saying it was my guilty pleasure because it actually... It, it's it's. Now, hang on, let me stop because I'm trying to, I haven't seen that many. So, is this the one where she's a pop star and she goes to be on her no, own? What it is is they, uh, Kate Winslet, Cyrus character, and Cameron Diaz, Amanda swap houses for oh, two right, weeks. Okay. So they got so basically, Kate Winslet is this um, waif of a girl who's sort of in love with the the head of some. She's a journalist at the Daily Telegraph, right. and. Uh, Rufus Sewell is the who's Jasper, who's the the, the cad. Basically, she, he's just engaged in marriage, so she's very upset. Almost tries, decides she was was going to gas herself, and then she goes up. She puts herself as a house oh, swap. And Cameron Diaz is this trailer maker in America who has just split up with Edward Burns, and she says she wants to go to England. So where shall I go? So she goes, oh sorry. So she decides to go to a cottage. She picks up. Um, Kate Winslet's cottage in Surrey, so so, and then Kate Winslet's cottage goes off to a mansion in the States. So of course she goes off, and it's incredible, and there's lots of sunshine. Well, yeah, is the film. So, and then basically, um, Kate Winslet's character meets Jack Black as Miles, who's a film comp- conveniently a film composer, and Jude Law is the single parent who's widowed and he has two lovely daughters and they fall in Isn't love. Isn't that every Christmas <laughs> film? I'm sure every Christmas romantic film there's a there's a dad yeah uh, <laughs> same uh, age widow, yeah widowed but it's but it's actually widow, but I like it for the fact that it's it's just um it's a it's a very convenient thing for me when I watch it because every time it's on it normally turns a plays about four or five times on ITV norm and then they ha- they then plays on Christmas Day late on ITV one so, so it's forced itself upon you. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but I like it. I, you know, but, um, but anyway, that's number four. <clears throat> number three, which I saw recently at the Prince Charles, is Trading Places. Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, right. yeah, which, yeah. Um, again, you know, the, the, a lot of the action takes place over Christmas. It's, um, it's, an, it's a classic um, reworking of the Prince Charles. So remind me of the story for that. Okay, so... Mm. He's unemployed. Dan, Ar- Dan Aykroyd <clears throat> is, this, um, is this smart aleck, um, you know commodities broker yeah. and he works for this company called Duke and Duke which is run by these two brothers called um, Randolph and Mortimer Duke played by Donamich and yeah, Ralph Bellamy and Donovan. then they these two aging brothers bet the other that they that oh, Billy right, Ray yeah. that Eddie <coughs> Murphy's character who they can find somebody they can sort of see whether they can actually whether the poor Billy Ray Valentine the Murphy character who was just bumped into Dan Aykroyd outside who has been arrested and seeing, well, with the right nurture and support, he can run the company as well. And, of course, the two, they, you know, and then Aykroyd's character gets kicked out on the street. He gets thrown out, and then they play a game. And, of course, he, he meets the hot hooker with the heart of gold in <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. And then there's, there's a big battle, and it's that kind of thing. But also, there's a scene where he's standing outside this restaurant, and he sees Eddie Murphy where he is. And, of course, it's on Christmas Eve, and he's sort of oh, done like no. that. And then he, he goes mad as in a... And then he turns up at the, the Duke's party in a Santa suit, drunk as hell. <laughs> and he sort of runs around with a gun and sort of tries to get Eddie Murphy. And it's just a really delightful, brilliant um, thing anyway. So that was my number three. Now, the next, the second one is, of course, I'm, I'm saying Die Hard without question. I'm right. I haven't seen this film. But you yeah, haven't, haven't seen, seen Die Hard. I, I mean, I've seen the bits of it, but I've never actually seen it. watched the whole okay, thing. Okay, so <coughs> Die Hard for Is my this the baddie with the blonde hair? It's Alan Rickman. <coughs> it's Alan Rickman. 
um, who plays Hans This is the first one? This is the very first okay, one. Right. In the skyscraper. In the skyscraper. Nick, also known as the Towering Infernal action movie, um, was based on a novel by Roderick Thorpe called Nothing Lasts Forever, which was a sequel to a Frank Sinatra movie called The Detective. Okay. And Frank Sinatra was originally, was originally offered it because he was given first refusal. Uh, who as the di- as the main character? Yeah, this is true because the character in the character in the detective is the same character in Nothing Lasts Forever. But how old is he though? He must couldn't be too old. Well, the detective <coughs> was originally in 1968, and it was Jacqueline Bisset's first ever American film. You know, she went on to do Bullet with Steve McQueen. Um, again, what's interesting about this movie was it was never predicted it was going to do that well because Bruce Willis was deemed a TV star at the time. He was in Moonlighting. Right. Yeah. And he was offered the then extortionate price of fee of $5 million, which, which basically sent shockwaves through the industry at the time because he'd had two fa- he had a modest success in Blind Date with Kim Basinger, and he did a film called Sunset, which he was Tom Mixon Wyatt. It was like a Blake Edwards movie, which didn't do that very well. So, of course, when Die Hard came out, it was like... So oh, that was all he did before Die Hard? Yeah. Oh, so he, he was nobody more. Yeah. It was a, TV, the, so was a big <coughs> show, though. The weird thing about this is it, it was never a Christmas release. In America, it was a July 1988 release. Oh, really? In England, it was February 1989. And I saw it on opening weekend at the Odeon West End 70mm. It's a very smart movie. Um, it's fun. It's got some really great visual gags. I mean, the now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! But it's got <laughs> visual. Eff- but it's got visual effects by Star Wars veteran Richard Edlund. Right. And it's just a fantastic. What year is this coming? Nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. And right. it was a pleasant surprise. We I did not expect anything because I thought, oh, this is going to be like a TV star wanting to be an action star. But it blew everybody away. Oh, and it's yeah. such. To me, it's one of the it's one of the movies that you must watch because a it I didn't it is a Christmas movie per se because it takes place on Christmas Eve, but it's just a film that would work in any time anyway. You, right, you know, yeah. you could have terrorists turning up. Well, in the July, earth. if I want to. July, yeah. <laughs> but it was lim- It was originally a limited release in the states for a week, and then it, it in seventy one, and then it went out wide, and it was the number one film for about three weeks. So that's my number two. Now, my number one, what do you think I would have put down as the So one? I've only got two that you could possibly... I was hoping you weren't going to leave any, either one of these out. So, um, oh, I've forgotten the bloody name, but what's the black and white of Christmas? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yep. Oh, well, there you go. But, it, but to <laughs> me, I can't, I, can't really, I, don't, now, I can't really argue. For me, that is the ultimate Christmas. Now, movie. funny enough, I haven't seen this film either. But I've, funny enough, I wanted to ask you. So I heard, I was listening to... Because I was going to watch some Christmas movies. Yeah. And some, I was talking to somebody. He said you haven't seen it. He said it's a. Du- it's not a silly film. He said it's a dark film. I it's, said what? It's the, what it, I've seen the, of it. The film. All I will say is that if you come out of that as cynical as you, if you went in, you you need to sort of have a reassessment. It is a beautiful movie, um, and it makes you think about your own existence. <laughs> the guy who's um, a good-hearted person right. who basically, at the outset, he's sort of considering suicide. And it sort of goes through his whole life, how he turns this town Bedford Falls and he, what he is. And then an angel who wants his wings, played by Ward Bond, has a little gift of his own for who's that. Who's it played by? Ward Bond, who's this aging guy. Uh, well, he's, he's an aging character. From, 
But the funny thing about this film was that it was never a success. Even though it was an Oscar-nominated film, it was never a success when it came out. It's only like with Star Trek and a lot of these other movies, like Love Actually Now, this is a movie that actually did, you know, actually has grown as a movie and as a staple of Christmas thing. And also it's a public domain film, which is means whenever you see it on f- cinema, whenever they put a clip on it, it's because they don't have to pay. Oh, right. They don't have to right, pay. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, of course. So the night of the... old then? It's 1946. So what is it, 50 years? It's 1946, which is um, it's about 60, 62 years. No, but I mean, what's the, the limit thing of, of when you can use it? I, th- I think there's, with public dona- domain stuff, I think it just... I thought music it was 50, but it's got... It's, well, public domain stuff, it's like for, it keeps going. And then, you know, I, I think it's one of those like Night of the Living Dead where this is why whenever you see it on TV, when you see, ever see things like Gremlins and stuff, that's the actual thing. It always turns up on tv but <coughs> so so that is my um those are my top five however i do have some other ones to just yeah i said to come up with some wild card ones okay well i'm gonna <laughs> give you the i'm actually gonna give you the wild cards now because i'm still hoping one my one will, that i'll is tell you yours, is yours muppet christmas carol is that your other one that your, okay that so i have so here here are some here are some <laughs> that you might actually wonder why i've actually put them down so here's a surprising one the wild geese the Wild Geese. What year is this? With Roger Moore. Well, the reason no, is is Roger because Moore. Roger Moore, Richard Burton, Hardy Kruger. It's a mer- bunch of mercenaries who are going to Africa to rescue a African president. Oh, I think so. The Christmas reference is because they go in on Christmas Day <coughs> to rescue him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Richard Burton says, we're going in tomorrow night. And Hardy Kruger says, you're crazy. Tomorrow's Christmas. We'll celebrate on the 26th. Why is it called Wild Geese? Um, it's, that's the code name of the Wild Geese. Oh, okay. And it's based on a novel by Daniel Carney. Okay, sleepless, Se- sleepless in Seattle. Oh, what? Because he, the son of um, Tom Hanks' widowed single father calls a radio station on Christmas Eve. Oh, right. And yeah, he's yeah. a widow, you know. Yeah, another yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> okay. <coughs> Here's another one that you might wonder about. The Black Hole, the Disney movie from 1979. Yeah, I mean, is that set on Christmas? The novelization. It's animation. The, the no, no, it's yeah. the Disney live action. It's the, the one where the Palomino and Maximilian, you know, Vincent and... Vin- it's got the robot with the spinning... It's the, right. the robot with the blades. It's it's had a great John John um had a great John. What's it called? Barry, the, the black, black hole. Hole. Yeah, it was the first Disney film not to get a U in the UK. It's in 1979, good. it was a it had its world premiere at the end of um it, technically it's a Christmas release because it was released on December the 19th in. So uh, they were doing live animation back then. Yeah, yeah, of course they were doing live ac- animation. Yeah, well. Um, what year did you say? 1979. Oh, 79. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie. Opens with Jingle Bell Rock. God, I didn't. But is it? That. Is that it? Is that the only reference for Christmas, or is it set at Christmas? It's set at Christmas. And yeah, when was that uh, released? Yeah, yeah. Why are they not releasing these films on Christmas? Like, what is it? Just whenever the money's is nothing to do. With just to make a setting, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. They, they, it's, it's such a convenient one anyway. I mean, I mean, I'll give you an example of movies that I did see over Christmas. Um, for example, John Carpenter's The Fog was premiered on BBC One Christmas 83. The is that set at Christmas? It's not set at Christmas, but I regard it as a oh, Christmas right. movie because I remember seeing um, Capricorn One was screened over Christmas 1983. Uh, mean Girls has a dance sequence to Jingle Bell Rock. Mean Girls, isn't that a new That's new Rachel film? McAdams. Well, it's Rachel McAdams and, um, and it's uh, Lindsay Lohan. Oh. It's about the girl who comes from Africa <coughs> and she meets the, the plastics. You know, it's got Rachel McAdams, Amanda Seyfried and Lacey Chabert. It's a good film, I thought. Yeah. Um, one Girls, that, yeah. funny enough, they had a <coughs> Christmas 
uh, Christmas um, debut this morning on Film 4, which was King Kong, the 1976 version, which was screened on Boxing Day 1982. <laughs> um, Hooper and Convoy, I should remember watching over that thing. Which one, sorry? Hooper, Hooper <coughs> Burt Reynolds, which yeah. is about the stuntman. Convoy, which is Chris Christopherson, about the, t- the trucks that go across yeah, yeah. the border. It's weird what films um, make. I would actually class John Carpenter's The Thing as a Christmas movie because oh, it takes place over winter. Yeah. It's at Winter it 1982. Yeah. The oh, funny thing is they get trapped and then technically it's a Christmas movie. So I, I kind of think... But is it always... Where was it? Where's it based? Atlanta. Atlanta. You know, the um, Antarctica. But even though the snow, is it still at Christmas as well? Well, it's, it it's set Winter 1982. That's what... I, that's oh, why right. Okay, I, yeah. it is, yeah. Okay, so you might have wondered... So those are just some of the ones that I picked. Um, three of the honourable mentions, um, Home Alone, Love Actually and Gremlins. Um, yeah, Gremlins. I suppose that wasn't up on your list. I, well, it it sort of is outside the top five because it actually is memorable for me because it was the night I remember the 1984 Christmas UK box office battle with Ghostbusters. Oh, was that when it came out? Because they basically Ghostbusters had the more family friendly PG rating, whereas Go- Gremlins was a 15. So they denied the audience. It was much more dark at that time because there was no 12 at the time. But um, Home Alone, for example, I I like watching the end of it. I mean, I saw it at Christmas 1990, I think it was. And then Love Actually, which is starting to grow me because it was on TV last night. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, that's generally... Ghostbusters wasn't a Christmas film, was it? It was released December the 1st, 1984. It wasn't set at Christmas. It wasn't set at Christmas, no, but, it was, but it was... But both Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 were Christmas releases. Did you watch the uh, the recent Ghostbusters? I did. And uh, did, what did you think of that? I thought it was great. Really? To, Everyone to, had the funny thing is, I was in an audience. I watched, it, I watched Ghostbusters, um, you know, and it's a know packed Saturday night audience and the funny thing is is I, I thought everybody was laughing more in that movie oh really than I was like but really? was it a woman women sort of predominantly women's well, audience well this is the argument that I, I had about, this is the going. argument I had about that movie right they have cameos by the original Ghostbusters say for oh don't they right. so, you know so you have Sigourney Weaver Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd turning up in various guises not, pla- act- not playing themselves. Not like playing Sigourney themselves. Ernie Hudson turned up. I mean, it's weird. I mean, how Ramis, God rest his soul, is no longer there. But they didn't do any cameos like that. But actually, it, I thought it worked really well. I mean, the visual effects were pretty good. I mean, with the CGI stuff, when you compare to the, the effects in the original film, I mean, there's, there's some really great ones in there. I like, I like the, the big Slimer character mm. and stuff. But, but I thought it, you know, I, I, it's it sort of... My argument is actually I'm glad that they didn't do another male-based Ghostbusters because looking at the way they came across in that movie, I think it would have been one movie too far. And I think Kristen Wiig and I think, to be honest with you, they, they were in very safe hands because Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and Katie McKinnon and the other one who was... Leslie James. Leslie James. They, it was a good chemistry. I mean, Kristen Wiig is a very funny actress. The only thing I thought was it, they were almost all four of them were all the comic relief. And you thought, who's the straight? Right, that, yeah, to yeah. me, was the thing I didn't mm. quite quote. I quite liked it. And I sort of, I'd, if they'd done another one, I probably would have gone to see it. But it was just, and there was, there was just plot. too much. To me, there was just too much expectation. I think with, mm. with certain movies, for example, there's, like with the Star Wars films now, there is, there is it's a victim of its right, own yeah. hype. Because we are fans, fan bases, particularly with, if you take the Marvel stuff. You know, people are so specific about what they want. Yeah. And you forget how sort of prejudices you are. Because I'm thinking, if that film, if you'd never heard of a Ghostbuster film, there was no Ghostbuster, and that mm-hmm. was the first Ghostbuster film, people would have liked it. 
Yeah, I mean, they're certainly... But the bar was set too high yeah, and there's too much distance between... It was just... It, there just seems things that they got wrong and quite... Um, well, they with the, the marketing... The fact with the guy, they were just... They had that guy there just to be sort of butt of their jokes. He was quite funny, though. I did like... I, 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 I quite... But, but that said, it, it's, <clears> it's the whole thing because at the moment with the whole diversity thing, it's like, you know, you're trying to put people into... You know, you're trying to put you're trying to make it more broader in terms of what people want to watch. And, you know, you get people complaining about diversity and money. There isn't enough diversity in films. Or but enough. it would have been better to just have sort of two women or one. Do you know what I mean? Something that just, I think well, people I think would have been the more original, the original, <laughs> Well, the original film, Ghostbusters, for example, was a movie that actually, again, got, if you're going back to it, you know, there was a, there was a six-month break between the American release and the UK release. Same with Star Wars. I mean, if you want another Star Wars uh, Christmas movie, the original version of Star Wars, December nineteen, de- December the twenty seventh, nineteen seventy seven. Oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Can like that, like that. Okay, fine. Not too close. Wasn't the God, wasn't the Godfather released at Christmas? Um, yeah, because he's carrying yeah. the thing when he picks up the. No, newspaper. but I mean, it's re- I think it was released at Christmas. Oh, it right. was. Re- I mean, it was released around November or December in. Um, in America, I mean, it was a limited release. Again, that was a movie that they were very, um, they, the Paramount didn't have any faith. I mean, if you w- if you watch the, the documentary, the Godfather, the Lost, it's, it's there's a brilliant documentary which has some of um, Marlon Brando's screen tests. Oh yeah, and I've there's seen some that, yeah. great. Ba- I mean, the <laughs> the band, the, you know, the outtakes where they're doing the rehearsals and James Conn and and Robert Duvall are saying, you know, it's easy to say you're not your father. Well, fuck you and your fucking family. <laughs> and you have Val Pacino, who looks actually like he's laughing like crazy. But it, again, there are Christmas elements in there because yeah. there's a scene where Diane Keaton and Al Pacino are walking out. Yeah, and then yeah you see, he sees the paper. You know. And it, I think Christmas always, it sort of heightens people's feelings. I think it's, you know, movies are, mo- cr- seeing a movie at Christmas really brings out a spirit in you. You know, if you yeah. see a movie over Christmas, yeah. it's like, you know, because... You know, you've you've got this single day where everybody's sort of hanging around the thing, and then you just want to go out, and then people will go and see movies. I mean, Bond movies are now a staple of Christmas. What uh, movies? Bond movies. James oh, Bond totally. movies. You know, I remember Goldfinger being on TV nineteen seventy nine in um, on ITV. It was like the main Christmas film after the Queen's Speech. Mm. Was there any Bond films that were Christmas related? What was the one on the ice? That was oh, Die Another Day, which that was that was just that wasn't a Christmas thing, but it was. Um, I mean, it, if you want to say Ice Space, but as I say, everything since 1995, all uh, pretty much a lot of the movies, including uh, all the Dan- I think the Pierce Brosnan movies and the Daniel Craig movies, have been Christmas releases. Hmm. I think the next one, what Bond 25, is going to be the uh, Christmas release again. Is that what they're up to? 25. Yeah. Which is Daniel Craig's last movie as as Bond? Oh, he doesn't want to do it, does he? I heard he didn't like. No, he, so he's doing one more. Is he's he? He's doing one more. The the thing is, is that he because he, he didn't just, fall out with. Well, he, he didn't fall out. The problem was, was he'd. But he said like, oh, he said so he'd, it's like you no. Know, he said he said something which was misinterpreted by the oh, press okay. at the time, and then he he you know they you know he's. I think it's crazy that he doesn't do it, but he d- he doesn't turn it down because he's earning a great deal of money to do it, and he think he's doing the next two, and then in terms of speculation about what will happen with it. But I think the best thing to do is to trust Ian because Ian know what they're doing. It's it's a family business, you know, it's been they've they know what they're doing with it. So I think we have to trust we have to trust who it is. I was a pro Craig person because having read the novels, he was actually closer in spirit to what the books were. 
you know the, the the visual style of the Bond movies evolved, even and the books are great in their own way. And I knew that Craig would be a good actor because he's you know he's he's embellishing the character in a way. Casino Royale, which is not a very long book, but it it represents in terms of film terms an actual definite Bond movie. It's a different direction. I like the whole style of it. I think it's on over Christmas again. All four of the Bond movies. Yeah, it's funny because I, I saw something um, recently, and it must have been it was on YouTube, and it was about top ten. TV or movie psychopaths. Yeah. And he went through all the psychopaths. And the first, the number one psychopath was James Bond. And yeah. the dame, because they said basically, he is a psych, he can kill at will, joke about it. He, he, like, he, it, he would be a tick that he'd be a psychopath. Like, but it, but the thing is, is Ian Fleming had written it that way. He's, you know, the, the books he are, you know, that he, he is designed that way. And Fleming was a, in the military at the time and he created these great novels until his death in 1963-64. So were the films based on books? Most of them were. I was going to say, when did it stop? Did they run out? They didn't run out. They just... In the case of Casino Royale, it had been... It was the rival film in 67 for You Want to Live Twice. There was a spoof movie, and it has been on TV, where they had four directors and different things. So the rights had reverted back to Sony back in 2006, and then Eon wanted to do that book the way it should have been right done. okay you know, yeah. so because the casino royal spoof in 1967 is that with oscar wilde uh, no, George, no, uh, it, it was david niven and woody Roy allen Castles, and, no, does the, um, and john houston i mean it was it was weird i mean Orson I, wells yeah it yeah. was it was an odd one because it, it wasn't bond it was they they'd done a rival thing the same thing again another christmas release was never say never again the other bond movie in 83 sean connery's return which was an independent movie which Kevin McClory had done because he owned the rights to Thunderball. And, of course, he, he there was a big court case. There's a great book out called The Battle for Bomb which tells the whole story of Thunderball because Ian Fleming had written this. He'd gone to, I think, Kevin McClory and Jack Whittington and, Kevin, and Ian Fleming had written this story called Thunderball. Then Ian Fleming claimed the book for himself, and then there was this huge court case. Okay. So, he owned, so, for example, with Spectre, for example, the rights to... Blofeld and that kind of thing, which had been a staple of it, they were able to do it finally with Spectre. But the book, most of the books were, most of them are based on the books, but then they, they had to come up with, so if you take, for example, Moonraker and The Spy Love Me, The Spy Love Me is a, um, is actually not anything, the book is actually not mm -hmm. about, it's actually about a secondary character who has an affair with, who has an affair with James Bond in the Mount Canadian Mountains, and it's about two, it's about two um, gangsters who come after this woman, and Bond sort of saves her. Moonraker is about Hugo Drax trying to obliterate London with a nuclear missile, and it's it's a really good book, but it's it's not what because right, yeah. because it's like they, Octopussy as well, isn't it? It's completely well. Octopussy was based on a short story called The Property of a Lady. Yeah. The Living Daylights, for example, was actually the start-off point of The Living Daylights is about a female sniper. That's just it's a very short book. There's a if you read um, it's for your eyes. There's a there's a compendium of stories for your eyes only, and if you read them, you can pick up things like um, like some of the characters in License to Kill. Funny if License to Kill actually has elements of the Bond, the Fleming novel Live and Let Die. Mm. Um, but things, the most faithful books, for example, are Goldfinger from Russia with Love, um, On a Majesty's Secret Service, which I always argue if Connery had done that as his last film, that would have been the greatest Bond film ever. Although that said, they said that actually George Lazen, they always wondered whether Connery would be able to convey the emotion that George Lazenby does at the end of it. 
I mean, Lazenby, I think, was very foolish. As from what I've read about it, he was very foolish because his his agent said he yeah. would make money from Italian films, even though um, even though Broccoli had offered him this thing. But apparently, th- the stories are legendary about him not being particularly nice on the set. <laughs> I mean, there was there was a big it, there was a big um, there was a press thing at the time which I where Diana Rigg, the Daily Mail sort of sent a agony aunt letter to George Lazenby <laughs> and Diana Rigg saying, look, together. And then, of course, when Lazenby turned up at the premiere, he was wearing a beard and stuff. And that was another Christmas movie. I think it was released in 19, late 1969. So was all, have all the James Bond books <coughs> had a film made about them? Most of them have, but now they're sort of, they're writing stories that are using the Bond mythology yeah, right, in a way okay. because they have to, you know, in terms, because A, it's, it's even more successful now than it ever has been. It's like they're making, the movies are making a zillion times more money since GoldenEye. GoldenEye, when it was after the litigation that happened because of License Kill, because MGM and the, the, the guy Giancarlo Peretti had actually was using the, the Bond titles just to, to as a part of his collateral to try and sell off the library, and then Eon said, "No, you can't do that." So there was a six. That's why there was a six-year break between License to Kill and Goldeneye. They started putting something together in '94, and then Pierce Brosnan, who was who was actually denied the role in 1986 because at the time Remington Steele was, you know, what had happened was Brosnan was going to take over from Roger Moore at the time. And Remington Steele was doing well in the States and they, they were about to cancel that. And then because of the publicity surrounding Brosnan, they recommissioned Remington Steele. Right. And then Timothy Dalton took it over. Dalton did two very good James Bond movies. I mean, License to Kill and The Living Daylights are among the best. I would have loved to have seen Dalton do a third one. Yeah. But the problem was because of the litigation, I think Dalton yeah. had just said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but he was a great Bond. I loved, t- I mean, License to Kill. And I also think Robert Davi is probably one of the greatest Bond villains ever, Sanchez. I mean, there was a brutality to it. But the interesting thing is, is License to Kill actually helped pave the way for the template for the later violent ones. Yeah, I agree. I always think that Dalton was kind of, some of the criticism, unfair criticism, labelled, laid, laid at Dalton. But those are the things we now praise Craig for. You know, oh, he's super serious. He doesn't do all yeah. the silly, because Craig doesn't do the silly jokes. He does yeah. the odd one. But it's, it, but it's the thing is, is it's about the, each actor who has done it has made it his own. Right, yeah, Con- yeah, yeah. People, but, you know, we, we, it's, it's a very, it's a very awkward line with Bond because we all love I love Bond for I'm a James Bond fan through and through I've loved this ever since I saw I saw Spy Love being a double bill with Pink Panther Strikes Again <laughs> in that must have been quite a fun double yeah. bill but, but again the funny thing is is when you watch Pink Panther Strikes Again it's Clouseau doing Bond yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's but the, the, but the fun thing is is Dalton I think had you know, he, he did an interview at the time and he said look I'm an actor playing a character in a movie called The Living Dialogues called James Bond and he went and I think what he did was he went back to the books he made it more things you know Roger Moore I think had done a really good run and I love Roger Moore I think he was underrated as an actor he's done some brilliant stuff Manwin Who Haunted Himself was his greatest ever role um, where he you know which was this movie in 1971 where he who he did with Brian Blessed's wife Hildegard Neal fantastic um, fantasy horror you know like supernatural thing where oh, yeah? this guy di- basically this guy called Pelham dies on the operating table and his double is released into the world and starts imposing himself on his life and that's Roger Moore yeah. Oh, yeah it's one of the it's one of the best um, British films um, but 
with with Dalton, for example, I I mean, Licensed to Kill was had sort of suffered because they had a had a restricted rating. It was the the only Bond that's got a fifteen, but it was a great movie that worked really well. And I think the the interaction, you know, genuinely, we had a Bond villain who could genuinely kill. Yeah, and he almost does. I mean, Benicio del Toro plays Dario in there, and he's he's brilliant in it. Who's you know he he sort of and then you had Kerry Lauer who went became Mrs. Richard Gere, you had M, who was actually in the field and helping out. I lo- I love the actually love the bag in that, and I love the um. And I think it was also one of the few movies, along with Moonraker, not to be shot in the UK. It was shot at Churubusco Studios in Mexico, which is where they shot *Romance in the Stone* and *Dune*, oh, okay. the Frank Herbert film, the David Lynch movie. Um, but I'm I'm going to be queuing up for the next one. I, I want to see I want to see another Bond thing. I've, you know I'm looking forward to the next one because it's all they're always great and they're always, talking about the Blackfoot playing them now. Idris Elba. Although he's although he has he did when there was an, he was on the red carpet for a thing and he kind of wrote it off. I mean Jamie Bell has been touted as a replacement Who's for that? Craig, the guy from Billy Elliot, but he's now doing oh. he's now grown up and all that. Richard Madden, who is the guy from uh, Bodyguard. I actually think he, I, I thought he was excellent in body. I can kind of see him. You know, he's a fellow Scott like um, Sean Connery. I think he has the right chops. Um, what although, when, What year was the first Bond film then? 1962. God damn, that's a long run. Made, made a for a budget of one million. <laughs> um, their company, Dan Jack, is named after Dana and Jacqueline, the wives of Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. Dana Broccoli and Jacqueline Saltzman. Um, what film was that then? Doctor No. Doctor No. Okay, I haven't seen that one. With, with the guy with the, he's got metal hands. Yeah, and that's what. Oh, well, oh. Well, and it's you know they're it. trying to divert. I mean, funnily enough, watching it now, it's actually quite surprisingly violent for. Um, well, for you, you've had your sex, doof, doof, yeah, doof. Yeah. But it's, really it's br- and also the spider as well. You yeah, know, that's the, you gross. Know. And also then, a real spider. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, there's there's a really, the, the scene is like, if you're an arachnophobe, it's actually this huge spider crawls up through the, crawls up through the, um, crawls up through the sheets and he's sort of like, Connery's on there like that and then there's this, and then the music hits you. But of course, you know, the, <laughs> the best, I think, one of my favourite Bond movies is Goldfinger, without question. I think that's where it, Really had the identity of gadgets, yeah. and it was girls, and well, you know. But it's but it's fantastic because it's mm. got a great female female heroine in Pussy Galore. Um, the gold, I mean, the woman on the bed in the gold paint, Tilly Shirley Tilly Master, Jill Masterson, the yeah. woman who gets you know Shirley Eaton, who is yeah. like it. It's got a great um, henchman in Odd Job. Oh, who is yeah. just literally <laughs> random task yeah. as they do in yeah, with the, with the kind of thing. <laughs> um but it, it's and also it's because it's you know it was shot in um it was shot at pinewood they yeah. shot the chase mm. at pinewood it's um but it, it's kind of the lavish locations and the music and it's got a great shirley bassey theme oh, and yeah. um yeah i mean i i would rate that i mean i i think goldfinger spy love me License to Kill, Unimagined Secret Service, and Casino Royale are my top favourite mm. Spawn movies. Did you say Live and Let Die? No. Ooh. <laughs> no. Huh. Said was that the kill. Welsh fella? Yeah. License to Kill. Yeah. No. Who's the Welsh fella? Timothy, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. But so Roger Moore was. Live and Let Die was uh, Roger Moore's first one. So was you sort of when he was a uh, Bond man? Was you sort I did, of I waving think, the flag? No, I liked. I liked them all. I mean, I think. Um, I think 
Roger Moore maybe had the we- some of the weakest bits, especially the later ones of you to a kid. Yeah, ones I can remember. But, that, but that's what I think. I think if people think of James Bond, they think of the Roger Moore era, <laughs> the, the puns, yeah. the Roger Well, funny enough, Octopussy actually has improved. <laughs> if, you watch it in the con- if you watch Octopussy and Man with the Golden Gun, in the context of what you've seen lately, actually, Man with the Golden Gun has actually improved a lot over the years. Octopussy has. It's more interesting because it's, it's got some good bits. In it, but I in terms of the um, yeah the, the sh- but uh, but thing. it's but it's a very interesting like Louis Jordan is a very mm. um, you know suave character, and Man with the Golden Gun with Scaramanga is actually mm. with Christopher Lee again. That I th- I like some of that anyway. I mean again that was a that was one of the top that actually when that played on. ITV in 1980, 81, it was the most watched Christmas film. Oh, was it really? The problem with, it, for me, one of the big problems, I think, with The Man with the Golden Gun is in the very opening, they show you how Bond's going to defeat Scaramanga. I mean, you know he's going to defeat him, <laughs> but you know, oh, okay, there's a thing with, there's a dummy and there's mirrors, so he's going to do something <laughs> with the dummy and the mirrors, and that's how he's going to win at the end. They're just trying anything, they just something to be. Yeah, and also him having a fight with... Um, Nicknack. Yeah. Uh, her Hervé Villachez, who um, actually, he, Roger Moore told a thing in his book where he said, he goes, I, I always press, you know, he goes, why do you always stay on the first two floors? He goes, because I can't reach the, any of the top buttons. <laughs> I could. But, he, but I mean, he was in Fancy Island. But it, it's, but I, li- I like it for its, um, it's got one of the all-time great stunts, you know, the flip of where the yeah, car flips over, the how extent. they did that. And it's got a great chase and, you know, the exotic, I like the exotic locations as well. Um, but it, it has improved. I've, I saw, I mean, there's a much more thing anyway, so it's cool. I find a view to a kill still. I, I find that. It's a shame because it's got, it's one of those ones, a bit like The World is Not Enough. You've got two great villains, yeah. but not a great. Well, the problem with World film. is Not Enough is it, it has the longest Bond sequence ever. Which is it's about seventy minutes now. A Bond sequence should only ever be ten minutes. What's the seven? Is that the down you know the, the actual the actual opening sequence of World Is Not Enough? Oh is yeah, probably yeah, yeah. twice as long. Oh, right. <clears throat> so when you have that opening, for example, it's like and again, Diamonds Are Forever is another one where the where I think it picks that car chase through Las Vegas. I mean the the bit on the the oil rig. I'm just I thought no, that's that we want we want a tank. We want a big. Vol- hollowed mm. out volcano spectacle at the end. It was a bit too yeah. downscale. It's so. fun. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I do. I do think uh, Wint and Mister Kid, the, the the villains, and um, although there's a gay subtext in that anyway, but I do like the. Actual <laughs> I don't know if it's a subtext, <laughs> is it? Well, it's again no. The two, the, the, you know, but it, but again, I think they're really great villains at the end, and, mm. and I think they they are as good as you know as as good anything. So yeah, and I like. Right, back to Christmas Sorry, films. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, so there's two there. one I want to ask about why you left them out. So yeah. what, is, what is your opinions of the Muppet Christmas? The, the, is that, it's not it's not cheesy. It's a it's a good. Well, it's a movie. It's a movie that I I I I, <laughs> I, laughing I haven't. I, the thing is, I haven't really seen it. So oh, that's, a, that's, so that's how disrespectful. So, it is. <laughs> no, no. I, I I will I will get round to it now. It's It'll like, be on at Christmas. I'm yeah, you got it. It's not as bad as the Muppet films. No, are I enjoy. Bad, I, I like of of probably the the sort of revived Muppets. I mean, it's been yeah, revived about umpteen times. Ones. But when they did, in the 90s, they kind of brought the Muppets back because they did that. They did Treasure Island, didn't yeah. they? Like, it had yeah, not been on a watched. very long hiatus, but bear in mind, they were churning them out one a year, probably. Well, oh, they did. Great. Well, the Muppet, I mean, the Muppet movie, which started it off in 1979, which was made on the back end of the very successful TV series. You know, it's had one of my favourite gags, which he goes, there's a fork in the road, there's a huge giant fork in the road. And it also had an... <laughs> And it also had an Oscar, and it also had an Oscar-nominated song, an Oscar-nominated song, "Rainbow Connection." Yeah, yeah. 
um, which was written by Paul Williams, who did the music for Bugsy Milan. What was the original one? Was that the one where they, they tried to get they come to Hollywood? Yeah, the Mupp- well, Hollywood? there was the there was the Great Muppet Caper, which was the follow up. <laughs> Sorry, there's a walk in the road. I'm still laughing. The joke, but it's a very fun, it's a very funny. It's you know, it's like. Fozzie and um, Fozzie and Kermit are in there, and I remember watching it on one of those film programs, like clappable. But he goes, "We're going for a fork in the run," and there's a huge fork. In... It's just very funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> well, um, uh, <laughs> right. So the other one, um, planes, trains, and automobiles. Have you left that out? Again, I, but it? no, truthful. Oh, I have seen it, but again, I wouldn't. I was. I would safely say that it's um, you know, come. When I was putting this list together, I mean, I'll probably have to watch again. I do remember watching it, but wasn't it Thanksgiving? Yeah, I was going to say oh, I don't it's know Thanksgiving. Now. No, it was Thanksgiving. Yeah. Plain oh, yeah, they could for the Thanksgiving yeah. meal. At because the, it, the very opening of it is, is he's trying to get out of you know he's, he's at the beginning he's in that he's in the in the office and of course there's a guy looking at it and then of course the, the postscript is the guy still looking at the thing over the three days. Yeah, but it but again it's. Um, it's seasonal. I mean, it wasn't... I don't think it was a seasonal release. I think it was like May or June. Oh, right. You know, it was a... It was a it you was wonder a, why they do that. I mean, does it make a big difference if it's released at Christmas? I don't suppose it does, does it? Depends what it's up against, though, doesn't it? No, you know? but it, it depends because I think the the other thing is the market has become so broader now. So, you know, nowadays there's no such thing as a dead period. It used to right, be, yeah. for example, you, it used to be either summer or summer or Christmas. But now with things like Star Wars and Romance in the Stone, like Romance in the Stone, for example, was released in March of 1984 because Michael Douglas felt it couldn't compete with the uh, the summer films. Right. Okay, so it yeah, became yeah. very well. So now, you know, you, you, you can't really anticipate, you know, if, for example, you have film like an Avengers movie, you know, everybody is not going to, people aren't going to, People, you know, filmmakers might say, "Oh well, look, we've got the Avengers movie coming out because you know that damn well they're going to corner the market for that two-week period." Mm. You know, you have Star Wars, you have the Harry Potter, you know, you've got you know all these oh, franchises. Yeah. Um, but then you get a movie that, for example, that might actually do well because people don't want to see the Avengers or they don't want to see Star Wars. I think because now, you know, we've with the advent of technology and CGI, we are seeing films. You know, people are going for the more independent movies because there is an audience that is, you know, the, the you know, the teen audience has got older. Yeah. You know, we I'm a lot older now, so I, I as much as I like the blockbusters, I do like watching more interest. You know, are the cinemas open on Christmas Day here? I know in America they they do. they. Funny enough, they did open the Odeon Leicester Square when Star Wars: The Force Awakens opened. That actually was open on Christmas Day. Oh, and right. they, you know, they... Um, th- That's when it opened? No, it, Star Wars Force Awakens opened on December, normally opened a week before. Yeah. You know, like the, the last three or f- the last four Star Wars films from, you know, Force Awakens, Rogue One. So, no, Solo opened during the... Wi- in the Well, Force Awakens, Rogue One and The Last Jedi all opened at Christmas with Christmas releases. Um, yeah. What's opening this Christmas? Are they doing anything now? No, no. I think the next. I think next year it will be Star Wars Episode Ten, which is going to be John Williams's swan song as composer. Oh. I think he said that he's going anyway, sir. Sorry. Episode no. nine, yeah, episode nine. I think it's yeah, it's you're right. Oh, we've been criticised for the yeah, Rogue One is basically episode, you know. Yeah, well, no, but it, but it's kind of okay. Episode, yeah, no, I should know. No, I'm, I'm actually look. The reason I'm looking forward to that is because I was expecting. I was always expecting from 1980, um, 
the nine films. Mm. And I, I kind of feel that I, that's a chapter I can close because I haven't expected that. I mean, there were going to be four Indiana Jones films in 1980, what they said, because they said there were going to be just four, but then they always said there were going to be nine films. And then George Lucas said it was the Darth Vader story, and then afterwards when Lucasfilm was sent to Disney, they said we we're going to make more movies. Right. I haven't seen any Star Wars films, right? Right. <laughs> but, oh, sigh from the audience there. <laughs> Yeah, but you haven't seen Die Hard. You haven't seen like this. Yeah, so no, no, there are people out there who have not seen Star Wars. I mean, it, it's 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 you know <laughs> that I can understand the, the because it's sci-fi and it's but sort of. It, do they reference Earth? No, no, it's not. It's not a. It's nothing not. To do. It's nothing. The humans aren't from Earth. No, no. It's the so whole. Where are the humans? From? It's an idea of. It's. It was conceived as a fairy tale. So the opening line, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, yeah. is actually, it was conceived as a fantasy rooted in imagination. So it could take place in the future or the past. But they must attend to that at some point. Where do these humans come from? No, there's no... no. It, it's Battlestar... Battles, well, Battlestar Galactica, for example, Glenn Larson's TV series, was actually more like the billions of light years away there are the human races fighting for survival against the silence and and then in the 1980s series they are looking for earth so the charity of the gods you know it's it's kind of like it was but why are they looking for Earth? well because they want to connect with humanity and but then who don't explain the whole battlestar galactic (laughs) we haven't got time for that i'll take them in especially when we do the revival have you um you got any christmas movies that ring in your head um yeah i mean i did say i think uh, masters of the universe i just remember that distinctly as a child and i will stand up and defend that film was that dolph lundgren yeah Yeah, but it was um i think again it's one of those films you like because you like it in late 80s then it was 1987, uh, yeah. Yeah. and happily, that. it's not happily. You know, this was before they was advertising money supermarket. <laughs> I can't, but I mean, I I tell you one thing: I cannot take He-Man or Skeletor seriously after those bloody adverts. <laughs> I, ser- I mean, I mean, for God's sake! You're going, <laughs> it's like that, but I thought, what the f- hell are they doing? It's a bit of a step down from Frank Langella, isn't it? <laughs> no, I like I like that Masters of the Universe. I think it's, um, you know, it was. It was kind of what, like a lot of those movies. I mean, um, I mean, Dolph Lundgren. I think he's woefully missed. Oh, you know, I'm human. <laughs> but Frank Langella actually, interesting enough, is actually quite good. I mean, he's he's dressed up in that. Um, I mean, that was directed by a guy who had done a lot of the attractions at Disney World. Gary Goldman. He'd actually written that, and it was one of the um, movies that the Cannon Group had done. Yeah, you know, which it didn't make a great deal of money. It was one of Courtney Cox's first films. As what? She plays the girl, An actress. the actual okay. human girl in there. Meg Foster, who was the original Cagney in Cagney and Lacey before Sharon Gless, she was in it as the female villainess. Evelyn? Hmm? Isn't it Evil Lynn? Evil Lynn, yeah. Evelyn, she, Meg yeah. Foster. She was, in, she was also in John Carpenter's They Live. Is there any horror Christmas films? Yeah, there is a Christmas horror 30 story. 30 Days of Night, is that Christmas? No, there was a, there's a great one called A Christmas Horror Story which pre- that premiered at Fright Fest. It's a series of great stories. You'll love that. Fright Fest. I think Santa. that's the first time I met you. Was at Fright. F- you, yeah. you'd, you'd gone to Fright Fest. Yeah. There's a Santa film, isn't yeah. there? I can't remember. What There's it's um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, that's which was the contra- which was banned in America because a lot of families they didn't like the idea of um, banned in America. I mean, yeah. let's forget it then. It, it was banned. Uh, it was banned. I mean, what it was was that a lot of family, a lot of parents took exception to the fact that Santa was evil. Um, <laughs> How old w- is this? This was 1981, 82. And yeah, what's the story? He's a ghostly... It's Black Christmas, 1974. That was another horror film from there. It was there. a Krampus film. Krampus, Krampus, Krampus yeah, Krampus, yeah, that was released. But there was Black Christmas from 1974. Um, there's a lot of... I mean, there's... 
I've seen several of them over the years. I mean, um, I think the Christmas Horror Story, which which had, um, I think, was William. There, it, there was a great payoff. I don't remember what it was, but there was a. It was. I think William Shatner was played a DJ in it. <laughs> but it is. It's available. You yeah. can. You know. It's. It's one of those. Um, Did he scratch in the style he speaks in? <laughs> yeah. No. No. It, it, there was no singing. But he. He was actually the guy. He was actually the DJ that held everything together. He was. A, it was a. It was a. It was a great movie. It's a great Christmas film. Is there any Christmas? What's coming out now? I haven't seen much about Christmas coming out. Grinch. The Grinch, it's which is the gone, um, the Benedict Cumberbatch thing. Anything um, else? There's nothing. Um, well, there's Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, I'm quite looking forward to that. That's not Christmas. Is that Christmas? But that feels like Christmas. I don't it's, know. It's it's the sequ- it's the it's it's for people who want to celebrate it anyway. So that's that's the new release. But for there's them. nothing else. Just the Grinch. There's nothing really Christmas related. No, I haven't seen on the side of buses or anything. Uh, um, it's, but that, I think I think you're right though. I think it's all big blockbusters now. You don't get stuff like Scrooge or that's it's another crap. Oh, oh, that's yeah. I have yeah, to I say, like I do. I, I I have to say that's, that's with a, Bill Murray. That one. Yeah, yeah, that to me. I I I love. I saw that Christmas '88, the old Plaza in Lower Regent Street, and I love the opening bit with Lee Majors as the as the mercenaries because mm. everybody. I it was. It was a great, um, that is a really great Christmas movie to watch. I mean, When Harry Met Sally is a Christmas movie. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I remember that because it's sort of, I remember it taking place, there are scenes when it takes place at Christmas and yeah. it ends at New, well, they yeah, get New together, Year. spoiler alert, in yeah. uh, New Year's <laughs> Eve. Or, but um, but they do carry a tree back to yeah, the house. and they have for like there's bits where they buy the presents, isn't it? Is yeah, but, it, but it, to me, that's actually the, like with Sleepless in Seattle, it is, it is a movie that kind of taps into that. Christmas spirit. I've got to watch Scrooge again. I forgot about uh, you've it. Got, there, is a, there is a whole cavalcade of yeah. films that you need to watch that we have learned. <laughs> no, I like here. that. The, the only bit that comes to mind about that, because I can't remember it now, but when at the end when he wants to put the antlers on the mouse and it won't stick, he yeah. says, can you get a stapler? Jingle all the way on a Schwarzenegger. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. There's that sl- Did The Rock do a Christmassy one? Oh, yeah, Probably, he did. Yeah. Um, they always do a pension film. That's he did, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that was. I know he did one recently, but he's he's doing things. He he. I mean, The Rock's doing so many movies. I mean, he did this thing, Skyscraper, which again was, you know, where he plays a paraplegic veteran. And Hang he on, it, he's paraplegic. Yeah, he loses. He's, 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 Only he's, in the film. He's, he's a security guard. No. He's a security yeah. guard. And he has a paraplegic thing. And he has he has to defend people with a skyscraper. And Hang on, paraplegic and can't move. No, he's lost the leg. He's oh, lost just one leg. Yeah, so you're thinking of paralyzed. Paralyzed. No, he, but I'm he, he does. But he, he has. He's from what I haven't seen the film, but it's got Nev Campbell as his wife, and he's he's on a skyscraper, and I think he's he's using like a metallic leg. Oh, and see, that's what ba- I was and he's battling, he got a leg and he's missing. battling, and he's battling like terrorists, like you know. But it's like, a bit like Die Hard in everything. So, but does that bionic leg kick a door in that he can't open at some point? I don't think so. No. I, I mean, I can't recall what. I, I mean, as I say, I can't. I can't really. I'm disappointed. See, again, it goes back to what we were saying. There's not a lot of Christmas films out. You'd think there'd be three, a couple of. A well, you always. It's, I mean, it's more of in America, isn't it? I think they always do those Hallmark movies that you know. Yeah, but nothing. There's not the Grinch. Channel That's Five are just rolling out. I think they're having about two or three a day of mm. these sort of rom coms. Yeah, but there should be Christmas more films. being made. But there's just nothing. <laughs> Rom-com, there's no rom-com that's out the Christmas Eve, Cameron Diaz There's probably something. We just It just gets swallowed up, you just, know, because yeah. we've got Aquaman out. There's all this kind of thing. Right, so it? I've never walked out of any films. And the last two months, I've walked out of two films. One was partially because of the arseholes that are in the cinema. Yeah. But one was the Creed. I just thought, oh, this is like just a fucking motivational YouTube video. Yeah. It's nothing to do with Rocky. I don't, it's, it's cheesy. And the other one was Aquaman. 
Because I got My to a point. Walked out of that. I got to a point where it's just I'm, I thought I'm watching a computer game because it's under sea, so they're mm. gonna have to. You know, it's got to be CGI. Yeah. But in the end, it's just like. This is just a computer game. No, no uh, seaweed, Christmas seaweed. No, and, and so it, doesn't it didn't qualify. even look good. Like when they because they're underwater. So the problem with that is now you've got to have to keep that constant look of it yeah. being underwater. So the hair is always. And after a while, you, you're just going. This doesn't look right. It's, they haven't got this right yet. It's well, the, the DC. I'm still. I'm rooting for the DC universe. I mean, I'm mm. still waiting for What's a great this? super. The DC universe, which Ackman is, and I'm still waiting for a terrific. Uh, who, who are the DC people? Superman, Batman. Oh, right, yeah, DC you've got com- the DC Comics. Right, so, yeah. But I'm still waiting on... Oh, Aquaman, so he's yeah. part of the... Yeah, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but I'm still waiting on them doing a, um, you know, a, prop, a new proper Superman movie because I struggle... After the shuttle rescue in Superman Returns, it sort of recycled a lot of the Donna stuff. And I, I, I thought it... I was really excited about it from the very beginning with the, the you know, the kind of... Superman 78 titles that mm. slit scan things and again it's another one incidentally another classic one 1983 New Year 1983 Superman the movie was on ITV oh wow I'd also class Flash Gordon New Year's Day 1981 that's when it I came saw out when I, when I saw it with my family at my local ABC I don't remember ABC it. are they still about no, 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 but they were the, they were, they were sold to Canon. Yeah. Oh. I don't remember it. I don't know if it, gen, if it premiered for the very first time, but I always actually, in terms of just a film that reminds you of watching films at Christmas is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Only because I remember distinctly there was this, um, you know, it's the money shot where he fires the arrow and there's yeah. flames behind him and everything like that. And they just kept using it in the trailer for that film, the BBC, when they were showing it. There was a Christmas mo- movie magic on the BBC and that yeah. was there. But again, it was, a Juli- it was a July 1991 release. Yeah. It was never, it was never, I mean, in, in terms of Christmas, it was there. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He pre- cancels Christmas though. Call off Christmas. Yes. No more hey. merciful beheadings and <laughs> cancel Christmas. <laughs> That's actually my favourite line from that movie. I, I think Rickman really... Yeah. Loxley, I'm going to carve your heart out with a spoon. He goes, and then, then you know, um, you know, and then the, his Guy Gisborne said, he goes, why a spoon? Because it's dull, you numbskull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, it, but it's... Um, but no, I, I, I love... Um, you know, I love watching movies at Christmas. I think it's quite nice when you've got nowhere else to go, like Christmas Day and the mm-hmm. transport's gone and then they have about three or four movies. I think Monsters Incorporated is the Christmas film this year. Is it? Or is ITV. it the university? Is it, is it the Monsters? Monster, I, think, I think it's Monsters Inc. I did have a look through the schedule the other day. Because I had a look and I was like, wow, there's literally, it just seems to be the sort of, I mean, not, not just Pixar, but those kind of, you know, CG animated mm. films. They just seem to bung a couple of them on in the morning, and then yeah. they don't really is, have the big... It's a wonderful life. Is it on this Christmas? Oh, I don't know. It probably is. I mean, Would it be on the well, BBC? The Prince, well, the Prince Charles Cinema is doing a... They're, they're showing it in an extended run at the Prince Charles. They always mm. do. Like Die Hard, for example, is a 70mm extended run at the Prince Charles, so you can get tickets on that one if you go to princechildscinema.com. Um, is it really Christmas theatre? Or it doesn't work? Well, that's well, pantomime, pantomime. I suppose. Or if you were going to do a Christmas carol... As a, a, have you as seen a anything play. like that? Well, have I been to a pantomime? Oh, Nutcracker, yeah, of course. Well, I, I went to see, um, when I was about 11, I went to see Wayne Sleep in Pinocchio at the local theatre. Oh, wow. And that was fun. That was great. I mean, it's like... Um, what theatre was that? Um, London. The, Bir- the Birmingham Hippodrome. Oh, okay. Birmingham Rep, I should say, but that was uh, funny. It was, I remember I went with my school. <laughs> I went to, with school, when, uh, we went to some theatre 
Mm. And I got lost for about half a day. I went missing. I didn't know where the fuck. And it was a long that's time. Making, that's the making of a kids. Uh, that's the making of a Christmas film. The guy I was like, petrified. I didn't know what to do. I was just stood there by the railings, yeah. holding on, and just waiting for something to turn up. But it was a long day. Didn't they have a Nutcracker film recently? Yeah, it's the new Keira Knightley one. Yeah, she's in the new. She plays a fair. I think she plays something. Sugar Plum Fairy. Isn't something she? like I think that. That's yeah. Is that? But that was out. A couple of months back, wasn't it? Or well, I think it's just—I think it has just opened. Oh, has it? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, what are you going to watch this Christmas? Have you got you? Are you definitely going to watch a certain film, or are you just going to see? Well, I—I I mean, I'll, I'll probably scout. I'll probably um, sort of scope all the channels, and okay. then you know, so no, if, nothing if planned. Some, but there's but the thing is, is like I I tend to treat them like CDs. You know, it's like I'll watch about ten minutes of a movie. Like if the holidays on, I think I'm going to watch that bit. Um, like last night, for example, I watched um, Love Actually, and I always love Chris Marshall's um, visit to America to <laughs> when he plays, when he goes to America to, to, and he meets three gorgeous women. And I know I, c- I can identify with that because I say I've been to America where you know you can go to a bar in New York, and if your your accent actually wins people over. I do have a fond memory of a uh, Texans housewife in <laughs> New York in 1991, Greenwich Village. What was Didn't that? Go, no, it was, it was in a bar, but it was like that. But the funny thing is, is like they, they really do appreciate, you know, your presence, and they they're very friendly towards yeah. people. You know, Tex, Texans are very hospitable and stuff. And um, I do have a lot of friends. What were you doing over there? Well, it was my 21st birthday in 1990. I was 22 in 1991, and I actually had it as a belated 21st birthday. So I went to there for two weeks, and I did the whole thing. I went around Staten Island, went on the Staten Island ferry, went up the World Trade Center. um, And, you know, I I actually saw Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer and Frankie and Johnny at the Lower Zasta Plaza. Okay. Um, And the difference between cinemas over there is that you don't get, like, 15 minutes of adverts you actually get like maybe two adverts and a couple of trailers and then you get the film mm. so they're very particular on that they don't know they're not they're not big on adverts they'll have a couple of trailers yeah. but they they normally stick to the film but they're quite loud aren't they vocal in the you know people be going don't go in there and isn't it all isn't that or is that a stereotype audience well i it's don't think that i don't think america some american audiences don't some members of the american audience don't have any cons- any sense of when a film begins and I'll give you an example. I went to see The Fisher King, the late Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges film in 91 at the cinema in Times Square. And we were about two-thirds of the way through. And this black couple walked in and started chatting. And I'm like, are you in the right cinema? <laughs> somebody, so I'll tell, tell you one thing. Somebody did it at The View recently. I went to watch... You um, like me. See? This I, went to watch, I went to watch um, a movie at The View West End. And somebody came in right at the very end when... The film was about to end. I, t- I leaned yeah, out, it's I said, mental. Excuse me. I said, are you in the right place? Are you in the right film? And, the, and they just sat there with their bloody refresher. I'm thinking, what? The, you know, I think people shouldn't be allowed in if you're late. Sorry. Tough to yeah, well, no, but the other thing is, is uh, you know, that's along with people who use their phones in the cinema. Mm. I mean, here's an example. I saw Superman at the NFT about seven or eight years ago. And there was a guy sitting next to me with a phone. And every, like, 10 minutes, he would just look at his phone. I thought, look, I didn't pay to watch yeah. you text <clears> or stuff. And they, people can't live without their phones. It's yeah. like, the, this is my biggest bugbear. It's like, look, you know, you're paying good money to watch a movie. You know, movies are not as cheap as they were. But you get a lot of people, and they're always looking at their phone. And I've had to turn – there was, there, was, there was a Japanese couple. I went to see Sherlock Holmes, the sequel, the sequel to Sherlock Holmes at the Empire. 
and there was a Japanese woman there right next to me, and she was going around, and she, and she so she went like this, took the phone out, put it back in, <laughs> took it out again, and I thought, if she does it again, and then I said, look, would you turn that effing phone off? Because <laughs> I, I, I don't, get, don't get me wrong, I like the fact that with Odin now, you have like no, no shiny screens. It's like, look, enjoy it it's a communal experience mm. it's just so disrespectful but in japan so don't they have those um don't they have those loops that stop you getting phone yeah. signal anyway yeah, to stop too bloody right yeah. too bloody right but you should but the point is is it's don't like with theater yeah. white with theater and everything else <laughs> like with theater and any public or thing i mean with concerts it's different if you want to sort of do a picture of a person from the stage that, mm. uh, that's different because it's a public place yeah. and you want to capture the moment i know I don't know if you ever saw the Led Zeppelin concert, the O2 concert. They actually mixed the, the you know, the one that they did in 2007, which was like the, the very last one they did. The Farewell. The Farewell. <laughs> Until the next Farewell. Until the next one. Um, but you can see in the audience, everybody's got their phones out. But they'd actually edited in some of those clips into the concert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can see it on Blu-ray. Like they've done various things. Because Jimmy Page did a very clever thing about actually doing it. Because it, um, it was just a very good... You know that's that's a good. I have to say that I will. I don't mind that because people want to capture the moment. But with theatre and cinema, no thanks. You just got to respect. You know, be in the room with the people, watch the movie. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, switch your phone off. Deal with it later. You know, spend two hours in the cinema, escape. I go to, to the cinema to get away from people. For yeah. to get away from being hassled. But there's some. But this <clears> is the thing that I. But we've had this conversation the last time I was on the podcast when I said, right, so I walked out of one because there were some drunk people in there that <sighs> were five of them non-stop talking the whole way. They were drunk when they walked in. Yeah. Then another one a guy walks in ten minutes after the film started. He gets up after to go and get some more food and come back. But about. Halfway into the film, about four or five people came in with the lights trying to find the seat like yeah. that. And they forget how bright a light is if you're yeah. in the dark. Mm. But there must have been... There I was, think they don't care. I don't think it's they forget. That's they mean, don't yeah. care. They're there was a guy about, about five rows down. But when you light a phone up, that lights the whole fucking thing oh, up. I tell they people, think they're doing this. But it's lighting the whole bloody thing up. I tell them to stop. Uh, even though I know they're not filming, I just say really loudly, can you stop filming? Mm. And then suddenly there. Well, that's a good thing about it being dark go. You stop filming. Yeah, just <laughs> no, that's fine. I don't care if they see me. But that's why I had to leave because I thought it's going to kick off here. I'm, I can't push it any. I'm so mm. pissed off. I'm going to say something because they were just, they may as well have been at home. They didn't give a shit. Um, Boo. But yeah, so. Oh, well, remind me again, what were, your, what were your three out of the, uh, out of left field Christmas choices? The left, well, the, the ones, I'll go back to the mm-hmm. list that I've got. I mean, funny enough, I've got about, um, I've got about, Ten, actually. Okay. I mean, another one I'm going to add to this is because I'm going to add to this is Elvis. Elvis, the movie, John Carpenter's um, TV movie. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell yeah. um, John Carpenter is in The Thing, John yeah, Carpenter. Yeah, he did, he did this movie in 1979, which the famous... So Elvis is dead at this point. No, this, it, it was done in 1979, and it was basically released theatrically in UK cinemas okay. in a two-hour version. It was three hours on Sting, and it played on TV in 1980. The documentary? No, it's, it's a film. It's a real-life bio. About Elvis? Bi- about Elvis, okay. okay. Right. In America, this film in 1979 was actually up against Gone with the Wind and One Flew <laughs> of the Cuckoo's Nest on the networks. And it beat both of them. Yeah. And all of a well, sudden, Elvis. it became the big thing anyway. But mm-hmm. I remember seeing that in the, um, on TV. I remember sitting at home. My brother had a party at home. And we took the TV upstairs 
into the back bedroom to watch it. And I, I actually spent most of the day <coughs> watching the evening while he was down to having party watching the TV. So, <laughs> so Elvis the movie was on there. Yeah. And um, again, that was that was another of them. I mean, just going through it, um, just recapping The Wild Geese, Sleepers in Seattle, The Fog, Can't Stop the Music, Capricorn One, The Black Hole, Lethal Weapon, Mean Girls, Elvis the movie. So this is the original Fog? This is the 1980 version, okay. which I, I, I sort of like that movie because, again, I saw it Christmas 83. I always get muddled between because you've got The Fog and The Mist. Yeah, oh, The Mist, right. is, yeah, Mist yeah. is Stephen King, Frank Darabont, which is an excellent movie. That's the one with the, the really black and white. Ending. The black and white version of The Mist is brilliant. What, what's, a, the, what's the producer saying? No, no, no. Don't, oh. uh, don't ask for any spoilers. <laughs> it's got one of the best endings. It's a, it's Mist, a really, Mist, yeah. it's a really good, it's a really competent... Um, you know, it's one of the very best Stephen King adaptations. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the recent Stephen King get, but I don't like it because it's scary. I just think it's the most de- def- definitive rend- representation of a Stephen King movie ever. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm. I mean, everything about it, you know, Stephen King novels are really, really great. Um, I think, the, you know, the, there are some really great, there are great Stephen King movies and there are great Stephen King novels right. Christine for example is a better novel than it is a film you know it's a, I like I like what Carpenter's done but there's a bit more subtext about I'm glad they cut the kids orgy from it <laughs> what? what 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 at the end of, at the end of it, uh, when they defeat it in the book don't they they sort of have um yeah relations oh really the kids but there's only one in girl. the book. Yeah, in oh, the book, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's um, it's it, meant to be like it's life affirming, you know. So what what mist or fog should I watch then? What was the one you saying? You should the original John Carpenter. The original John, the black and white version of the mist is fantastic. There is a, there are two versions. There's a color version and the black and white version. Right. But the black and white version is the one that works better. But the same film. The same film, but they did it in two oh, versions. Okay. But everybody prefer, they just, prefers the black and white version. Just it, it just looks. It's better. just it's just it. Just watch and okay. enjoy. And the fog is actually. Um, oh, hang on. So what was that then? The mist. The no, mist, the mist. Yeah. And that's mist. Stephen King. Stephen King. And the fog is not. The Stephen. fog is the fog is a great ghost story film from 1980, which has oh, just been God. released in 4K. <laughs> I've just bought my Blu-ray copy. It is one of the most beautiful yeah. horror films ever made. It's and it's also fun. It's a great fun thing because it's... The story is um, a town called Antonio Bay. And there's only one Fog film. There's there's a remake in 2005. And that's the one you like? No, the 1980 oh, version. Oh, okay, right, see. Um, we'll get a pen and back. The story and that's the one that's come out in Blu-ray? Yeah. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's been remastered in 4K by Dean Cundy, who did the, the, um, the cinematography on... on Films like The Thing and Escape from New York and Halloween. He also did the the, um, the cinematography on Back to the Future, and he's done wow. things like uh, Psycho Two and stuff. But it's a story of a town called Antonio Bay who's celebrating its hundredth anniversary, and for one hour, when from twelve to one on the anniversary, things go a bit crazy. It's got Tom Atkins in it. It's got Adrian Barbo as this DJ called Stevie Wayne. It's got a beautiful John Carpenter score. And Hal Holbrook's in it from, um, he was in All the President's Men, he, and he's playing this father. And Janet Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis are in it. So, you know, Janet Lee's in it as Catherine. They're not related in the film, but Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. and Janet Lee. But it's a beautiful, it's, it's just 
for me, it's it's one of my nightcap films. Whenever it's on TV, I will always watch it. It's it's, ni- it's it's sort of a nice thing knowing it's there, you know. So at eleven o'clock when it's on TV, I'm going to watch this. But I've got my Blu-ray now anyway. But it's cool. I'm what, the same with the thing. That's my if it's on. The I've thing, just yeah. yeah. Well, I've I've just bought myself a copy of the VHS range universe. They've got these special VHS replicas. You can actually buy a VHS box, box. but <laughs> inside you actually open it and it's actually got blu- the DVD and Blu-ray. Oh, but they've got the original packaging of the original Ooh. VHS version and they've got a whole host of them at HMV. So I snapped up... Um, I mean, that was another 4K version that's just been released, but it's beautiful. Um, and actually, on, on the thing, uh, the new... 4K version. They did an article. They did, there's a special feature on the summer of '82 when the thing was released, and I actually wrote an article on the summer of '82 for Cinema Jam, which was a year before that one came out. Yeah, because Cinema Summer of '82 was the regarded as the greatest thing because it was the thing. E.T. Blade Runner, Star Trek to the oh, Wrath. Because yeah, E.T. just kicked it because it wasn't that uh, um, didn't do that well, did it? When it came out, the thing. The thing had this story goes that um, there's a there's a great John Carpenter interview book called John Carpenter, Prince of Darkness, and he talks in it about the whole story behind it. Um, E.T. had just come out, and John Carpenter had been making the movie for over a year, and then he actually went to Robert Remy, who was head of marketing at Universal, and said, look, I w- I've got a bad feeling about this. We've got to put it, we should release it in the autumn. But he said, no, no, we're going out in the summer and we want that title of thing, because he was going to, they've said maybe who goes there. And apparently in this interview, he said they had a test screening and somebody said at the end, who was the thing? He said, that's the whole point. Yeah. Right, yeah. And he said, that, but the thing is that, and he said, the problem was, was at the time, audiences, today, for example, it would have been big. Mm-hmm. You know, people, like if you look at Seven, for example, Seven is a movie that went through the roof. It was... The ending is brilliant. Not going to give it away, but I think it's fantastic. Please tell me you've seen Seven. Brad Pitt. Yeah. 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 The Box. No, yeah. but people might, people people might be, be careful. Reality. Never, never reveal it. Ever, I mean, love, even though Gwyneth Paltrow revealed it in an interview, this <laughs> I can't believe she said that. Um, but no, but it, it's it's such a great. I mean, I actually stick in my neck out. I think it's the greatest horror film of the nineteen eighties. The thing, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It, it's it's just a great. What did you think of the recent one? The pre prequel. I liked it. I yeah. think it 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 kind of. It was criticised for the CGI, but I think as a companion piece to the original film, I, I thought it was really good. I liked... I was expecting a lot worse. I yeah, didn't like no, the CGI. No, I, I think it worked. I think it worked. The the pre- prequel worked really well. I mean, but then again, I'm a Mary Elizabeth Winstead fan. I liked her in that. And it does have a really funny joke at the very beginning. Oh, the one know. about the... the they're, they're talking the thing about the um, the mother's kind of... There's a, about a kid. And the... Um, I think it was something like the kid walks in and sees his mother and father doing it and, and he's going, how dare you? And then, of course, he goes out and then, um, so, of course, the father gets up, goes into the room and, of course, the the kid's having sex with the grandmother and he goes, it's not so funny when oh, it's yes, your mother. mother yeah. But it, but it's, um, <laughs> but no, it's it's such, this is the uniqueness of that film. I mean, Rob Bertin's effects are just so brilliant now because they were done in camera and, Rob Bertin had really taken the essence of what the original book was. Um, it's still there, a th- there was a thing before the thing, yeah, wasn't there? Black and white fi- one. Well, the 1951 was the Howard Hawks version, right? Yeah, which is still, which is a really good version. It's actually because Carpenter is a Hawks aficionado because he Assault in Precinct 13 was a reworking of Rio Bravo, mm. 
And John T. Chance, who is the editor in the John T. Tanch, who is the editor in um, in Some Prison Thirteen, is a pseudonym for Carpenter, which was Cat, which was the character John um, John Wayne played in the original Rio Bravo. So mm. that's a nod to it. And of course, um, Michael Myers is is named is taken from the name of the British distributor who distributed Assault and Precinct 13 because if it wasn't for the success of Assault in England, because it wasn't a success in America, oh. Halloween would not have happened. So in, in appreciation of that, Michael Myers was given the name of the killer in Halloween. Oh. <laughs> I was just going to say, were any of the Halloween films of Christmas? <laughs> sort of gives it I away in the probably, title. Yeah, but you never know. There's probably one of them was probably released in summer, wasn't it? Or something so, yeah. Like. So I, I, would say, I would say the thing is... Um, you know, the the thing for me is my pick of the greatest films in the U. And I think Carpenter's work has just grown. Have you noticed that on the TV this Christmas? Is it, is, you've seen it popped up anywhere? No, I mean... It, ITVs. You, no, you the, horror channel, the Horror Channel, for example, has played it recently. They did it as part of a... Um, they did it as part of a... Of the, the October schedule. And I think the, um, the Prince Charles Cinema is actually going to be showing a season of all the John Carpenter stuff, including the thing in a digital version, um, because the 70mm Prince is very faded now, and there's only one left. I actually saw it at the Prince Charles in, you know, about two or three years ago. And um, it's still a great movie to watch now, mm. and I love it for that reason. Well, John... <laughs> It's been wonderful having you on again. Um, so well, you're going to come on for all the seasonal things and let us know what's happening. Um, what yeah. seasons do you have movie-wise? Um, uh, I well, suppose you have so, awards. Well, there's now, some. I mean, there's. So, I mean, no, I mean, in terms of uh, types of films. You, uh, uh, well, we're in awards season. Valentine's now, aren't we? Day. Valentine's Day films. I mean, um, I mean you've named a couple of them already. Well, there's there's also My Bloody Valentine, as which is the the both versions, the 1981 version and the 2010 version, the 3D version. Which is glorious. So when will we have it? We'll have him back for that. What's what's uh, um, uh, Halloween? We'll have him back for that. Yeah. What are the seasons? Well, there's there? summer. I mean, I I think the summer is is a really good one as well. I would oh, love to do because um, the summer movies are really what. Do you? You've seen so many. Like you're such an aficionado with films. Are you like? Are you enjoying new films? Because even yeah. I'm getting pissed off by it. I haven't seen that many. But it, it's. I, I will always go and see new stuff anyway. I love, you know, I, I, I mean, funnily enough, with my rev- with doing reviews and stuff or doing stuff like that, it's actually, um, I do see some of the upcoming stuff. I saw a movie, a fantasy recently called The Fair, which is a, um, which is a new time displacement film, which was just premiered at Austin Other Worlds. And I was the first journalist to review it. So I saw it on like a secure screen. It's an American film. It's an American film. It's um, it's like a romantic court drama, which is like the Twilight Zone. And what stuff. do you mean you saw it on a screen? Well, they what it is when I'm doing if I'm doing review stuff. There's like they send you like secure links and stuff. Oh, so, oh right. So it's like an opportunity to. Oh okay. But um, but I do go to the cinema a great deal. I still like going to the cinema. I mean, I saw funnily enough, I saw Lethal Weapon and Trading Places at the um. I saw Trading Place at the Prince Charles, which was great in thirty-five minutes. Yeah, I think when I first met you, you would, you 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 would you'd been at some fest, some movie yeah. fest in Leicester Square. Yeah, which was Fright Fest. Yeah, that's what gives me. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I I find that you know the great thing about the Fright Fest is that you do get a chance to see what is effectively. So that's a perennial event, is it? Yeah, it's oh, a okay. perennial, and it's it's got at big, Halloween. It's got it's no, they have it's at Halloween. They have there's one in Glasgow. There's one in the summer. And one in Halloween and stuff like that, but it's it's just great to 
I, I like seeing new stuff. I like seeing movies where I don't know much about it. I mean, I still love watching... I mean, just looking at the list on my on my screen here of all the movies, it's like, well, um, I mean, how the hell do I see all these movies? It's, <laughs> but you know, and I might see something else. It's like it's it's. But you a don't ju- sort of judge it with a sort of eye from the eighties, seventies, and eighties of films. No, I, no. I, I you can I, still enjoy it. I, I look. I'm a very passionate <clears throat> film fan. Okay, right. Yeah. I love films. For, you know, yeah. I think it. I think ever since I saw. Star Wars in 1978 and Close Encounters in 1978. If I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I haven't lost it. I think it's still, you know, I've I've evolved as a person. I've evolved as a writer. I've evolved as a, I'm a script writer as well now. So I'm writing my own action fantasy now with somebody else. Um, I want to make movies as well in the future. You know, the book that I told you about, The Twister Boy, which is on Inkit, which is the, which again is a futuristic fantasy, which is like H.G. Wells, um, Roald Dahl meets Marvel about a boy who's transformed into a tornado. Fair enough. And he becomes a force of nature. So you can read it on Inkit. And again, I was uh, was, uh, watching these. um, I mean, tonight, for example, they've got The Specialist, the Lawrence movie, The Specialist, which I think is a great, you know, which is a really great one with James Woods as the um, and the Stallone, Stallone movie. Yeah, it's got a great sex scene with Stallone and <laughs> Sharon Stone, which is part oh, of. Oh, she's the, in it. She? Yeah, she's you know, but she's um, like as I say, she, um, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, um, with Basic Instinct and Total Recall. I mean, and she's also in King Solomon's Mines in '85. Oh, was she? Yeah, with that with uh, Richard Chamberlain. So was she in her early twenties then? Early than that? No, she was in um, so nineteen. Probably in their 20s at the time. I mean, Basic Instinct and Total Recall were the movies that kind of brought her out there. She was also in a Wes Craven movie, Deadly Blessing. I don't think I know that one. It's a, like a horror film from 1981. Yeah. Can you remember the first time you went to a cinema? I was um, I was about six. And oh, I, saw, I saw um, Peter Pan, the Disney so who's in there? Is it all animated? It's the animated, yeah. it's the animated yeah. film, you know, Captain Hook. And, right, yeah. um, I do remember vivid memories of watching Robin Hood, the Disney movie, um, the the one with Mate, where Maid Marion, they're foxes and stuff, yeah. which Eddie God, Redmayne, yeah, Reddy, that, Eddie yeah. Redmayne admitted that he had a crush on Maid Marion. Well, we all did. We all did. <laughs> yeah. That's sexy. It was quite funny. What? It, but yeah, it, what's, your fir- what's your biggest experience of the cinema? Was it the first film you saw? I mean, even today, I mean, 40 years on from... I mean, I can still recall where I was sitting and seeing Star Wars the right, very first yeah. time. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, I watched it on, um, it was on, you know, the ITV are showing the whole films because Force Awakens is playing on the 30th, debuting on ITV on the 30th. And I, like a lot of people at that time, Star Wars really, it's it's very difficult to sort of recall today with everything else how that film kind of, hit you in so many different ways because I saw I didn't see it at Christmas that year I actually saw it in February spring half term and I remember where I was in the cinema I was sitting at the back of the centre block with my parents and there have been clips of it on TV before they always showed the TIE fighter attack or they showed C-3PO and R2-D2 on, on Tatooine or they showed the escape from Mos Eisley of the Millennium Falcon but even after that I I was just blown away by the sheer 
imaginative and and spectacle of it. I love even today when I see those you know the the the, ex- <clears throat> the the shootings and the fights and the climactic sequence with the on the Death Star and I do remember the climax. I was pinned back in my seat the very last second of the movie and I'd just been pulled back. And then when I came out of that, my parents went to a local W.H. Smith and they got me a copy of Star Wars Weekly, you know, the comic book. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> over two years, I went back to see it at the at my local cinema and I saw it four times in total, including that one. First time with my parents when they wanted to say my brother to see it. Then my nan... And my cousin and my brother went to see it and I went to see it. And then when it was reissued in 1979, I went to see it again. And I just, I just and I saw it again when they released it at a double bill with Empire in 1982. And then in, when they did in 1984, when they did the trilogy, the original trilogy. I was there on opening day when The Empire Strikes Back was released. People say that, you know, the, everybody says The Empire Strikes Back is the greatest film ever. But it was not well received in 1980. Because people were very bemused. I mean, it's also famous for the short that Roger Christian did, which was to support Black Angel, which he's trying to make into a um, rate feature. If you go onto YouTube and type in Black Angel, you can see the short. And Richard Roger Christian's got an introduction. It was a really interesting 25-minute short about this night. And the famous story goes, I mean, Roger Christian's written a book called Cinema Alchemist where he talks about Star Wars, Alien, Black Angel... And John Borman was shown the short so that he could get the look of Excalibur, which was yeah. the 1981 Arthur version. But it, I mean, I remember seeing Close Encounters. My parents had seen it the week before, and they said to me and my brother, we're going to take you to see Close <coughs> Encounters. We're going to see it brilliant. And I was so enthralled seeing that movie. That You know, it's a beautiful, you know, the effects and the, the, the UFOs going around. Um you know, I, di- I wasn't thinking about it being Spielberg. I mean, the thing is, I just thought it was just a great movie, and it, it still is today. Um, and I was there when they had... The, I went to see the special edition in 1980 with the additional stuff. Um, I did recently see the director's cut. Um, but it just grew and grew. I mean, VHS, for example, was another period of my life where between 1982 and 84, I would watch a lot of these movies that were... I was unable to do, and we'd watch things like Taxi Driver and <laughs> Night of the Demon. Did you record off the telly as well? Right. Oh there. yeah, I mean, I I was love. I loved the actual. Um, I loved the Christmas schedules, yeah. and I loved, you know, when Channel Four started in '82. We'd watch. We recorded things like, um, recorded things like Woodstock and stuff. The very first thing we ever recorded was Dirty Harry. No, The Last Waltz, the band on when BBC Two oh, showed yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the band movie. And that was the very first thing we taped. The very first VHS I ever watched was Wes Craven's Hills of Eyes. Second, nice, Cron- one was David Cronenberg's Scan- Scanners. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's just grown and grown. And So uh, you haven't lost your thing for f- films. You're still enjoying them. No, it's, my, it's my lifelong passion. It's who I am. So when are we going to see you next? And what's coming up? Is there anything before Valentine's Day? Is there any award ceremonies coming up? You got Oscars and all of that. Not before then. Is that, I no, they've right. got. Well, the Golden Globes are happening the first week in January. Oh, okay. Um, which is like the big one where they've just. I think they've just. When's the Oscars? Uh, that'll be end of February. January. Oh, okay, so we're going to see you in February then. We'll find out what's going on and who's yeah. and. Uh, what, are you around February? Should be yeah. Okay, so you're going to come back. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, we'll need a Valentine's Day and uh, and an Oscars. Yeah, we might do the two. Oscars live. We could do an Oscars Oscars live Oscar cast at four in the morning <laughs> yeah. or something. Well, I think we'll it'd be great. Well, up. it'd be great to talk about. I mean, what would be great to talk about with the Oscars is actually talk about some of the history. The history I, of I the Oscars. I mean, I, I I would love to talk about some of those past movies that I've you know some of those moments in the Oscars like the. Um, you know, where um, you can talk about the um, streaker that went on whilst David Niven was on there and says, and there was, of course, the the, the night that um, Marlon Brando refused the Oscar for The Godfather. He sent up the fake. Sent up the fake actress, <laughs> which was the thing, which she, Maria Montez, her name was, but she came on as Sashin Littlefeather. Um, the funny thing is he, he, got, he refused the Oscar because he, he was discussing the treatment of um, Indians in films. And then Clint Eastwood said apparently at the same time, he goes, does anybody want to say anything about all the cowboys who've been killed by the Indians? <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll get back to that. So, listen, thank you very much. I really appreciate it and we'll see you soon. Definitely. Right, Thanks so much. Cheers. Peace. Are we doing a peace out? Yeah. Are we not going to eat the cakes live on? Oh, are we still alive? Okay, right. So we've been given some Christmas cookies. Are we still on? Are we doing a, a What's live, your, a live what, eating? Uh, producer's uh, wife. Oh, he's not your wife yet, is she? Um, what's her name? Yeah. Wife to be. Candy. Candy. Would you like to try one? These are homemade. You want one? I'll have one. Yeah, yeah. go for we'll it. See how the audio is. Do an online. Right. Re- yeah, sod that, mate. Listen. Oh, that's gorgeous. Mmm. Thank mm. you. Well, I don't believe you. I think I don't look. Mm. That's quite nice. I'm glad it's soft. Anyway, <laughs> it's very nice. So thank you very much. And on that note, we will end. You've been listening to the Via Lucci podcast, recorded in London with your hosts, Tom Wheelahan, Theo X, and myself, Shanian and Darren. To get in touch with the show, go to vialucci.com and follow the links. So, until next time, be good to each other, be good to yourself, and have a great day. Watching shadows on the wall, the bottom screen that's cold, I'm in the corner with my head in the dream. Myself, I quietly think so many things to get you off. And I cough and I scoff and take another drag of my cigarette. And I don't mind if the sun don't shine. Body weather suits me. Fine.